from today, um, which is the 17th, November 17th, we'll have a congregational meeting. Um, we have uh, a, a, an important congregational meeting every year at this time. Um, and so all members of Valley Hope are encouraged, invited, begged to attend. Um, the, the business is, um, is big for us. We present the budget for next year. We'll be voting on uh, the folks that were nominated and then trained in the spring, then through the summer. So we'll vote on those candidates who have gone all the way through that process. The other thing that's new, that we've never done this before, is um, we're going to vote together how that nominating process will work next year. Because we have had problems with this every year, figuring out how exactly to do this, and we decided the best thing that we could do is decide together how to do it. So if that we end up with a process that all of us are annoyed with, we can only look at each other and say, we did this to us. Um, so we're going to give you options ahead of time so you can look at them, think about them, consider, and then on the day of the congregational meeting, we'll decide next year we're going to do this, and we'll see how it goes. We'll do our very best. Uh, we'll put in front of you probably the strengths and weaknesses of each method that we can devise, and if this seems incredibly boring to you, it's Presbyterianism, man. This is our gig. This is what we do. We're boring. Um, so we're gonna, we're, we want to do our best to make sure that the process is clear, transparent, fair, representative. Because uh, in a Presbyterian church, the, the selection of officers is the moment for the congregation to really say, this is the way that we want to go. We want to make sure the congregation feels that, owns it, and participates in it as much as possible. So that is coming two weeks from today. Those are big things. They're super exciting. See you there. Um, I wanted to thank everybody. Uh, yesterday, we, we had our, our block party here. Uh, and for one, um, I, I said we moved in here and into the summer, we really need to have a playground. Like Our kids really need some place to play. And I can say that very freely because I have no ability to follow through on that. I, I cannot build things at all. Um, so it, it's just a problem that I can give to other people and say, do this, make this happen. And um, at the end of, in, in August, um, Jason Covert took that up with uh, other people, a bunch of other people to just lay this out. What is this going to look like? And then we said, okay, here's kind of a rough schedule. We need to, to work together to build this ourselves. Because if we just bought playground equipment, there'd be like four swings outside in the middle of the fence. That's all it would be. We knew we could get a lot more if we built it. And there's a ton of people with skills in this church. And I was like, look, this, if this is how you want to do this, that's great. Fine. Um, good luck. And uh, there were times where I would walk out there and be like, I don't know that this is going to happen. I don't, I don't know that this is going to be finished anytime soon. And Jason was very consistent, like, no, we're going to get this done. It's going to happen. And what I've seen over the past, I don't know, eight weeks has been incredible. People showing up in their very limited free time 
to labor for hours for free um, to build for what for many people will never directly benefit them. There's plenty of people that were working on this that don't have kids, um, how, or their kids are grown. It doesn't directly benefit them all, and they just are just putting in their labor. I will never forget last, well, this week, whatever, Wednesday. It's dark, and it's cold, and it's raining, and there's like six, eight people out there working in the dark, in the cold, in the rain to build this thing. Men and women together, all kinds of ages. I was blown away. Um, There's very little I could do to help. All I could do was stand back and watch. And I was amazed. And I am so grateful to everyone who helped do this, who built this playground. It's not quite done. If you go out there, there's poles just sticking up that are just sticking up in the air. Um, But we've got slides that are here slash coming that will go on there, and it's going to look even cooler than it does right now. Um, And there's a lot of people, men and women, who put a lot of labor in, and I'm so proud of you. I'm so grateful and so proud of this church. And then yesterday, we did our best as quickly as possible to invite as many people as possible to come to our church and to play on this playground. And for one, you guys came. Thank you. So many people showed up, and not even people who had kids, again, to play on the playground. They just came to hang out and see what it was all about. And that alone, I was, I, I was here at 8.30 in the morning, about 9.30, 9.45, I went into my study by myself, got on my knees and said, just please, God, let people come. Please make them come. Drag them here. Just let there be people here. Let this happen. And it did. And then shortly after it started, shortly after 10.30, we started seeing people walk down the street from, from our neighbors up the hill. And I had the longest conversations in Spanish that I've had in a long time. <laughs> they were very rough and slow, but they were very patient with me. There's a lot of people that came here to eat and to play and have their kids play that don't normally come here. I'm so thankful for all the work that people put in. This is not easy. It is a stretch for a lot of people. It is a push to get this done. And I'm just telling you, it was worth it. It was worth it. And if you are tired, you are tired from doing good work. Thank you for all of your good work. You can have a break. You can, you can rest. <laughs> Except for the people that need to put up those slides. You need to put up those slides. But other than that, you can rest. Um, seriously, though, um, what I saw was important and profound. Now, my challenge to you is this is fun. That's fun to, to have, have that done. Um, that's one day in a year. Our tables in each of our homes have to be open more than one day in a year. That is the spirit that we want to carry into all that we do individually. And we want to do more stuff like that collectively. But our homes have to be open more than just the thing that we get to do one morning once a year. That's not enough. The goal, the dream, would be our new friends to walk down the hill 
into the life of our church and to be seated around my table at my house so we can have a broken English slash Spanish conversation together around dinner. That's my dream for, for me and for you. So I hope that we take this as a kind of a seed as much as anything and that we see fruit, good fruit, come from it. I believe that this is what God is doing in this valley. And this is what God wants to do in this valley in and through this church. To that end, this morning, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Because we've been preaching through the Apostles' Creed. I've been preaching through the Apostles' Creed. And we've done the clauses. We've done the section on the Father. And we've done the section on the Son. And now the third and final section of the Apostles' Creed starts with our confession of belief in the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to be in a few different passages this morning, starting in John chapter 14, verse 18. And then we'll go Genesis and Acts. And we'll tie all these things together. So if you can, if you have a Bible, turn to John 14, verse 18. If you rather just read off the screen, that's fine. This section of the Gospel of John is an extended um, speech, sermon, teaching by Jesus near the end of the Gospel of John as he heads to the cross. If you have a Bible with... It's a red-letter Bible. Most of your pages are probably all red in this section of the Gospel of John. It's a lot of Jesus talking. He says, I'll not leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them... He it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you'll be manifest, you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Genesis chapter 11 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. They said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have all one language and this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. 
Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth and left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. And now in Acts 2. One through thirteen. <clears throat> when the day of Pentecost arrived, they, the disciples, were all together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each, of, each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And as, at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for revealing yourself to us, for disclosing yourself to us. I pray, God, that our ears would be open to you, that our hearts would be open to you. Father, we pray that we would come to fully embrace and live out of the great gifts that you have for us. Pray, Father, that you would shape us, that we would cling to your ways, that we would not lean on our own understanding, but instead trust you and seek to follow you in all your ways. We thank you, Jesus. Amen. I was... um, I was reading through a, a sermon uh, by Matt Chandler on, on, this, um, on this particular line of the creed, and he said that uh, the Holy Spirit for a lot of people is like um, that crazy uncle that comes to Thanksgiving who does weird stuff and tells stories, but they're your family anyway, so you kind of just deal with the fact that your crazy uncle comes to Thanksgiving. And... Um, I find that's a pretty apt description, that uh, especially in the circles that we live in, um, in largely uh, comfortable white American, especially reformed circles, you start talking about the Holy Spirit and everybody just kind of grabs on like, what is going to happen right now? What what are they going to say about the Holy Spirit? And um, we... It's unfortunate. It's deeply unfortunate because, you know, this line in the creed is there for a reason. This is central to Christian belief. 
So you cannot be a Christian without having a Trinitarian God. You cannot be a Christian without having a God, one God who exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they're not ranked. It's not, um, you know, you have God the Father, God the Son that we're cool with, and God the Spirit is like number three on the list and number three in power. That's, we don't believe that. We believe that the persons of the Trinity describe one God and they're absolutely equal in power and majesty and all things. And especially if you get out of our circles, if you get out of comfortable white American Christianity and go to other parts of the world, you, it, is, it is uncomfortable to live as a Christian without frequently talking about the Holy Spirit. It is difficult to exist without leaning in to the Holy Spirit. We absolutely must have the Holy Spirit to be Christian and to continue to exist and live life and experience as Christians. And when you look at the way that Jesus talks about his leaving and his departure from the story, he tells his disciples, these people who have literally walked around with him for years, he tells them, you are better off if I go away from you. And they are as mystified by that as we are. How can that possibly be true? If any of us are offered the deal, okay, you can have it the way that things are now, or you could have Jesus with you just like it was in the New Testament. Most of us would be like, option B, that would clearly be better. And Jesus thinks otherwise. The disciples are better off. The people of God are better off. The world is better off if he would be the resurrected and ascended Lord, and then this thing happens. The Holy Spirit comes, the helper comes, the advocate comes to be with us. And the the fact of the matter is, our existence as the people of God relies upon the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why this section of the creed goes on to describe things that are normal to our Christian experience. So the next thing that we'll talk about is we believe in the church. The, the, the teaching within the creed, without being even explicitly said, is that the church is created by the Holy Spirit. It flows out of the work of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit to us should be a person whom we are comfortable with, whom we have a relationship with, whom we do not feel awkward mentioning at various times and places. The Holy Spirit is a part of the normal Christian life. And I had us read these two stories of, from Genesis and Acts to illuminate what the Holy Spirit is doing. Because oftentimes, because the Holy Spirit is not spoken about 
nearly enough, people often just say, we're talking about Holy Spirit, we're going to talk about weird stuff like healing and prophecy and signs and stuff like that. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That is the bare minimum of what the Holy Spirit does. And it is not even at the heart of what the Holy Spirit is doing in the world right now, in me, in you, in our community. The story of the world is is flowing out of the spirit of Babel. In the book of Genesis, God has told humanity to go, to fill the earth, to spread out and extend Eden to the borders of the globe. And in Genesis chapter 11, after all kinds of cataclysmic events and tragedy, humanity is still speaking one language and deciding to do what? Deciding to do the opposite. God has told us to go that way. We will go this way. We will stay here and build basically a monument to ourselves out of our own ingenuity. We will place ourselves on the throne of God. We're going to build our tower up to where the gods sit, and we will sit up there too. We will come together to do that. And God looks down at what they are doing and says, this will not stand. We... I have made them to go out. I will send them out. Now, our world loves the idea of unity. And so the language of what God says that he will do in Genesis chapter 11 seems like God is almost in the wrong. He's mean. Like, don't you want these people to be unified? Don't you want these people to be under this? Like, there's nothing that they cannot do. That sounds like a praiseworthy thing. Why are you messing this up? Well, because this whole civilization that they are building together is built under the banner of opposition to the creator of the world. They are doing this in express rebellion to God. So God refuses to allow them to live in rebellion. He refuses to let them do this to themselves. And he says, I will make you do what you should have done. And he goes and he confuses their languages and they disperse. Now the way that people groups work and develop and language works, it is not that the the confusion of languages is a curse, it probably would have happened anyway. Because if they dispersed over the globe and lived their lives separate from one another, that's what happens. Language changes over time, and we would have ended up with different languages. So this is the, disp- the confusion of language, the dispersion of people, is not a curse. It is God forcing them to do what He meant for them to do. But they have done, they are experiencing it because of the rebellion and opposition to God. And in the book of Acts, something happens in the next chapter of humanity that adds a layer to this that shows why God's way is better than the way that we would expect that we, to see in Genesis chapter 11. Our inclination is to say, wow, they're really unified here. Nothing could have stopped them. They're, literally, they're all on the same page. There's no confusion here. This is the ideal. And people understand that 
things that way, even still within the church. Man, if we could all just be the same, if we all could just be culturally the same, linguistically the same, that would be the ideal. That would be the way that things are supposed to work. And here, and people will sometimes point to Acts chapter 2 and, and Pentecost and say, see, that's what God always wanted. But that is not the version of unity that God works through His Holy Spirit. It is in fact quite different. It's quite the opposite. Because what happens in these diverse language and people groups is that the Holy Spirit comes in power. He anoints people that don't know the language to somehow, in ways that they do not understand, have the ability to preach the Gospel in languages that hits all of these people where they are. Babel is not reversed. It's not like God went to Babel, pushed, rewind, and reset it to the way things were. It's actually better than that. All the people who are experiencing life in the diversity of their cultural linguistic settings are somehow, by the power of the Holy Spirit, able to see and hear and understand and believe the story of God in their own diverse context. That result is more powerful, more demonstrative of the power of the cross of Jesus, more perfectly embodies the great work of God in Jesus through the Holy Spirit than if they just reversed and they were all the same. It is in the diversity of their linguistic expression that God proclaims the good news about Himself. And all of those people from all over that Mediterranean world are mystified because these dummies, these Galileans, Galileans were hicks. They didn't expect Galileans to know anything. These dumb Galileans are suddenly speaking all of their diverse languages. Their only explanation is, these fools are drunk. Which is weird. I don't, my experience with drunk people is not that they become trilingual or something like that. But that, that was their response. These fools are drunk. And Peter then stands up and gives this incredible sermon. That he's a transformed person. This transformed Galilean. With the primary message for all of them to hear. Jesus is the Son of God. The hope of Israel. Crucified. Risen from the dead. And these people from all over, all over the world, the known Mediterranean world, they respond to the gospel and they carry the message outward, which is the whole story of the book of Acts. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. That is what the Holy Spirit does in and through the people of God. The Holy Spirit, Jesus tells us this in that passage in John 14. The Holy Spirit comes to instruct the people in the words of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus indwelling the people of God. The Holy Spirit is pointing to the cross and magnifying Jesus in ways that we could not have expected or foreseen and are only explainable by the divine power. 
And if all of our Christianity is boiled down to rational strategies that always make the most sense, then we are neutering the power of the gospel in the people of God. The whole book of Acts is a chronicle of the peoples of the world coming into contact with people who should be too dumb or too hard-hearted or frankly too smart to believe any of this stuff and saying, something is going on here. This is weird. What is happening? And if your life and my life is stripped of the confession of the power of the Holy Spirit and we are relying on our own ingenuity, we are all in trouble. I, most of all, I don't know about you people, maybe you're self-confident. If it all relies upon me and my life being smart enough, being clever enough to present the gospel, no one's going to hear the gospel. I am not that smart. I am not that convincing. What I am desperate for is the work of the Holy Spirit in my life to use me to preach the good news of Jesus to people who I otherwise could not communicate to. I need the Holy Spirit to come and do something in me, in my character, that I otherwise could not do for myself. And we together as a church have to confess this with not just our lips, but with our whole lives. I believe in the Holy Spirit. We cannot be who God calls us to be in this church, in this valley, without a full-throated, absolutely honest, integrous confession that we need the Holy Spirit. And Jesus will tell us elsewhere in the Gospels that the prayer for the giftings of the Holy Spirit is the prayer that you get a yes to. There's not a lot of prayers in the Bible where it says, if you pray this way, just like this, you get a yes. Because mostly, that's magicalism. God is not a robot or a machine. It's not shamanism. You don't get to do the right dance and get God to do what you want. That's not how it works. But Jesus tells his people, hey, pray for this one. God will say yes to this. And what he prays, he tells his disciples to pray is, ask for the Holy Spirit. Pray for the Holy Spirit to come and empower you. And it is, of course, our belief that anyone and everyone who has their trust in Jesus is, is filled with the Holy Spirit. You have access to the throne room of God because the Spirit of Jesus lives inside of you already. But it was, it was the belief, the conviction of the early church in the book of Acts that they regularly needed to ask for what they already had. So this thing happens in Acts 2. There's wind and fire and this crazy thing happens. And then within chapters, they face opposition. And the people of Jerusalem are like, we're going to kill these people. We're going to beat these people. We're going to imprison these people. We cannot have this message of the gospel of Jesus spreading outward. And they go into jail and they come out of jail and they go into jail and they come out of jail. God miraculously rescues them. And then they get together again. And they say, we need help from God. And this Acts 2 experience is replicated 
It happens again that the whole upper room shakes. The whole thing happens all over again. The people of the New Testament church were firmly convinced that they need to perpetually throw themselves before the mercy of God and plead for His empowerment. And these people walked with Jesus, like literally walked, just saw Him walk down the road. I feel like if anybody's going to get to their place in their life where they can say, you know what, I've got this, I'm good, it's those people, right? They walked with Jesus. But those people are the people who are saying, I have walked with Jesus. I need Him to give me whatever He's got, and I need it again and again and again. Because I've seen Jesus, and I know how good He is. I must have everything that He has for me. We have to be that kind of people. We have to be the kind of people that come to God and say, fill my hands with everything that you want to give me. I am not competent or proficient enough to lean on my own skills, but give me everything that you got. In the moments in our life, when we are empty, when we are weary, the Holy Spirit is your comforter. Open your hands and ask the Spirit to comfort you divinely, supernaturally, to comfort you. When you know that you are entering into your workplace, your school, or relationship, or dinner with a family member, and you have no idea how to connect the story of the gospel with this person who you know hates Jesus, open your hands and say, give me everything you've got. You are the one who gives words, who teaches my heart. Give me the words to say so that I can make much of Jesus. When you are facing the, the complexity and the confusion of life, and you do not know how to translate what you are seeing and experiencing to an understanding and appreciation of the goodness and the gospel of Jesus, open your hands and ask the Holy Spirit, give me everything that you've got. And that is what the Holy Spirit is doing. It's not, we don't throw gifts of the Spirit on the board and say, you know, this specific thing is, is what I want. Give me that thing. Or, or make me like this person. Or give me that experience. Because then you're just after the thing the gift, rather than the giver. But instead, you look to Jesus and you spread your arms out and you say, I take anything that you'll give me. I will take anything that you give me because I trust you and I need you and I've seen this much of you and what I've seen is so good that seeing this much of you can't help but be a good thing. So you don't have to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. 
You don't have to be afraid of talking about him. You don't have to be afraid of talking to him. You don't have to be afraid. God, it could make me do something weird. What do you, what's been your experience so far? Kind of yes, kind of no. God does make me do weird stuff already. Makes me talk to people I don't want to talk to. Makes me hang out with people I don't want to hang out with. He makes me be not selfish when I frankly want to be selfish. He already makes me do weird stuff, and yet there is nothing about Jesus that I don't say he's better. He's just better. My life is better with him. And if that Jesus who is better, who you love and you trust, is telling you, The Holy Spirit is there to be your your coming alongside one, your comforter, your advocate. Wouldn't you just throw up in your hands and say, okay, fine, I I trust you. Do with me what you want. Because you've only ever been good to me. You've, You've only ever been kind to me. The places that you've pushed me to have have only ever been good places. So, so yes, do with me what you want. When people, the people of God, live that way, the church takes its right form and right shape. As a people who are humble and submitted and small before a big God, and who's, who confess Jesus as a king who is a good shepherd, who will lead you to places that are good and broad and healthy. And we become a people who from the outside look a little off, a little odd, which opens up the conversation, what is going on there? What is going on inside of you? What is going on inside of you individually? What is going inside all of you together And that is our moment to make much of Jesus. It is not the moment to say, look, this experience that I've had, this gift that I have, it is the thing that you are missing. Our moment right then is to say, you have never met anyone like Jesus. He he has never left me. He's never orphaned me. In fact, he has made his home with me, just like he promised in John 14. The Spirit is pointing at Jesus and making much of him in the world. And your life was meant to be full of those kinds of arrows and reflectors. Come see Jesus. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the atmosphere in which my belief resides. And I cannot believe apart from the Holy Spirit. We cannot. We believe in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. To the glory of God in all the earth forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray for us.
Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are a gracious and good king. We thank you that you are a giver of good gifts, that you are trustworthy and kind, that you have made your home with us. We thank you, God, that now we don't have to be a people that travels across the world to a temple, a building built on a mountain, but instead you've chosen to indwell your people, these new temples. And Father, we confess to you that we are tight-fisted with control of ourselves. We are, we are slow to turn over our self-control over to your rule, that we would be ruled under you. We are, quite frankly, afraid of looking different, afraid of looking like we, we're the weirdos in town. And Father, we forget that you're just good. And we have nothing to be afraid of. Father, I pray that you would, you would help us to continually have the sense that we live in your house and the door to your office, your room is open. And you want more time with us. You want more relationship with us. And you warmly invite us into your presence all the time. Help us not to be deceived, to think that we are all right without you, that just living on the other side of the house without ever seeing you is enough. Thank you so much for being patient and kind and gentle with us, for doing more than we could ask or imagine. We thank you that the Holy Spirit lives within us. And Father, I pray that for anybody who feels isolated and far away from you, pushed away from you, I pray that they would hear the good news of the gospel. They don't have to feel isolated and away from you anymore. They can be with you forever. Pray, God, that you would call us all back to respond to that invitation time and again. Thank you, thank you for your many supremely good gifts. Let us live as a grateful people. To the glory of your name, Lord God. Amen.